Father God, thank you for the words of your scripture, the beautiful words, the beautiful words that tell the beautiful story of your beautiful son who came into the muck and the mire of this world in order to show us your beauty. And Father, we pray for the month ahead. We pray for this Advent season that you would truly come to our senses. That Lord, that you would awaken us and refresh us and allow us to see and hear and perceive you in new ways. Lord, shake us awake. We want to experience you again this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. This series is called Coming to Our Senses, and this week we have the sense of sight. Recently, I uh, got back with my family from a week vacation to the happiest place on earth, and um, we, we were able to fly down to California and spend the week seeing good friends and family and, and uh, experiencing some of the theme parks. And I will not ask for a show of hands of how many of you have had epic arguments in the midst of the happiest place on earth. But I'll tell you, we were going to spend two days uh, in, in the Magic Kingdom, and uh, I spent much of my first day trying to see it all, trying to rush from place to place and make sure that I saw everything. And I've got four kids, starting at 12 down to four, with a fifth in heaven, but four with us. And my wife, and we're staying 20 minutes away from the park, and, and we had already had a a day before that felt pretty full, but I wanted to see it all. I'll just say it was a little bit of a rough day. I mean, we're, we're like trying to get from place to place. I'm like, there's the next thing to do. Let's go. There's something else to see. And I have the map and I'm running and my kids are trying to keep up. And the four-year-old is, is crying and we don't have the stroller. And then I'm lugging him. And then at some point I put cotton candy in front of him too. And, and it was just this really horrible picture. I mean, I was, I was, I was trying to see it all. But I wasn't actually seeing any of the people with me. And I was looking around halfway through the magical day at the Magic Kingdom and just seeing the, the consumerism and seeing the lines and seeing, you know, and seeing my own just stuff. It was a rough day, followed by a, a helpful conversation, shall we call it, with my wife <laughs> that evening that we need to do things a little bit differently. And so luckily we had a do-over day the next day where we went into the other side of the park, California Venture, that instead of starting at 8, started a little bit more like 11, that, that looked a little bit more like stopping and resting when people were tired. We found ourselves in, um, I took my two oldest kids to this, to this ride, the scary ride, and Heather has the two younger kids. And in the middle of that ride, there was a 90-minute wait but all of a sudden, I recognize I'm with my 12-year-old and my 10-year-old on the cusp of them growing into teenagers. And instead of the 90 minutes, instead of the, oh, what else can, am I not going to be able to see today? I was actually able to see them. And we downloaded this little game, and we were playing this heads-up game with these kids and my kids. And the most magical time of the Magic Kingdom was those 90 minutes. We got off that ride, and Heather texted, hey, we're, we're queued up to go on the, the merry-go-round thing. Come on. And so the kids and I are running through the park, and instead of leading this time, I'm following them. As my two oldest are running through the park, and we're, we're laughing and giggling and running to meet up with the mom and the younger kids. And so often, for me, 
I'm trying to see so much that I actually miss what God is trying to show me right in front. How to love the people well that God has placed in front of me. How to see the blessings that might be a 90-minute wait in line because there's somebody to encounter. And to recognize I don't need the magic kingdom. I need more presence with the people that God has placed me with. Today as we look at Luke 1 and look at the scriptures and look at the way in which Christ comes and wants to be seen by the people that he appears to, we get this challenge. And I'll just I'll pose it to you. When you look at your life, what do you see? When you look at the fruit of your life and your faith life right now as we head into what for many of us might be the busiest 30 days of the year, what do you see? Are you able to take moments where you see Christ in all of the busyness? It might be that some of us need to look differently this season and look closer because to see God in our midst, sometimes we need to change the way that we look at the world. When Christ came, many people that were supposed to be looking for him, including Zechariah and Luke 1, we're going to look at this morning, they couldn't see him. And then other peoples that were marginalized and outcast, they had somehow, through their brokenness, they had an ability to see Christ. And so for those of us, the faithful ones, those of us trying to be more aware of Jesus, there's a warning and a challenge and an encouragement. That God wants to be seen by us. And today we're going to look through the lens of Luke at this sense of sight. Towards this uh, quote from John 1.14 we just heard. We, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and the only son. Who came from the father full of grace and full of truth. These words written by John. The beloved John. John the disciple. John the writer of probably five books of scripture, the son of Zebedee, the brother of James, one of the first disciples, one of the special three discipled by Christ, a fisherman, a disciple, later an evangelist in Jerusalem with Peter preaching the words. John has these amazing words for us this morning. Where does he get the words? He saw Jesus. He saw him. And because he saw Christ, he was able to understand in all the difficulties of his life that Christ was calling him to see him again and again and again and again. And church, I've said it many times. If we want to have something to say into this world, then we're going to need to see Christ. Before we can say something, we need to see something. And so our encouragement this morning, our big idea, our challenge is that we want to see God and respond in faith. And that's where our transformation happens. And this is our reminder. The transformation is response to revelation. And so if we want to be more than just religious, we want to be transformed in our faith. We need a constant renewal of our senses. We need, each one of us, we need to actually, through the, through the muck and the mire and the busyness, we need to see Christ. So this is our hope this morning. This is our prayer. This is our encouragement. This is our expectation. Christ, wake us up. Allow us to see you in the, in, the, in the mundane of the everyday, in the words on the palette. God, we want to see you. So let's look at a few scenes from Luke 1. I encourage you to have your Bible open. We'll be looking at all of Luke 1, telling about the story of Christ's birth and also of John the Baptist's birth. 
we have these contrary stories in Zechariah, and, and your Bible may translate him to Zechariah, same man, different translation of his name, and Mary. Let's look at the beginning, the first point our outline, the Zechariah story. And it's the doubt isn't the end. Zechariah is a priest. And look at Luke 1, verses 11 through 17. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. We can pause there. Many of you are familiar with the, the Advent story and some of these stories that we hear time and time again in Scripture. If you're not, let me just break it down quickly. Zechariah will be the father of John. He's a priest. And he's waited his whole life for the, for the time in which, as a priest, he could actually stand in the Holy of Holies. He can be present to, 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 to the holy place. And he's he going in in a religious fashion to, to kind of pray for the people of Israel. And then inside there, the angel Lord appears to Zechariah. And Zechariah, verse 12, saw him, the angel. He was startled. He was gripped with fear. And the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you call him John. He'll be a joy and a delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth. For he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. For he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah is, is waiting to, to see Christ. He's waiting for God to do something. And he's also waiting to be a parent. He's waited for decades to be a parent. And he and his wife Elizabeth were one of many people that struggle with infertility. And so he goes in hoping to, to, to offer a prayer. He, he has this hidden hope in his life that he would someday be a parent. And the angel comes to, to seek to him. But he's not able to see it. He's not able to see uh, God show up because he doesn't actually believe in the custom of his religion that God will still be speaking. And it, it's indicative of our religion that oftentimes that we make, we make traditions to approach God. We make traditions of Advent. We make traditions. We always go and we, we get a tree right here. We, we make traditions. We always we go and, and we go downtown Seattle and we, we take this picture with, with Santa or a reindeer or whatever. You know, we've got these traditions, but are we, are we actually hoping to see Christ in the midst of the tradition? Zechariah is, is, is making his, his maiden voyage into the temple where God is supposed to dwell and the angel shows up and he can't see him. And Luke 1.18 says this, Zechariah asked the angel, now how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my, my wife is well along in years. See, he can't see that his biggest prayer is, is being answered. Because oftentimes we miss seeing Jesus or what Jesus wants to do in us because we doubt that God really cares anymore. We doubt that God still shows up in the same ways. And we doubt that God wants to break through the everyday. And we miss him. We miss him. We're, we're rushing around to get this magical experience. Missing the magic right in front of us. I, I was an English major. I was an English teacher. I love the power of the written word. I've told you before of a, a trip. I love the study of American transcendentalists. And though they were off guided because they thought that all, you know, kind of human fullness could be found within ourselves. They also had this awareness that, that, that we need to be paying attention to God's fingerprints in the everyday. 
And Henry David Thoreau believed that so much, he went and lived by a pond and recorded uh, his book, Walden. The final lines of Walden says this, about learning to see and actually apprehend when God breaks through the everyday. Thoreau says, only that day dawns to which we are awake. There is more day to dawn. The sun is but a morning star. And so to be aware of God breaking in, we have to be seeing places where God is moving already in the deeper currents of our lives. Zechariah doubts when God says, hey, your prayer is going to be answered. Religion has sent him to the altar to call upon God, and yet when God shows up, he's blind to it. He's blind to it. And friends, I, I will confess to you that I get blind many times to what God wants to actually say. And this Advent season, God wants to shake me awake, shake us awake to the places in which he wants us to see him and kind of crack through the blindness that ensues. We can be so busy and so blind to God showing up today. It reminds me of blindness inside of this powerful story in Elisha of 2 Kings 6. Elisha, a follower of Elijah, who was able to see God do incredible and massive things that are documented in, in the book of 2 Kings. And Elisha, uh, there's this story where, where, where the enemy is kind of coming in, and, and Elisha has faith. It's, uh, 2 Kings 6 says this, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, Elisha, one of, one of his followers, he goes out, he looks outside, and outside his cabin, there's an army with horses and chariots, and they surrounded him. And so the servant comes running in, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asks. And then Elisha says, do not be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed this prayer in 2 Kings 6, oh God, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. All around, God, all around. God with us, God through us, God around. And may this prayer of Elisha be an encouragement to us. God, may you open their eyes to the strength that's available and, and the people that God wants to remind us that he's still speaking in our world today. And Zechariah here doesn't have his eyes open. He, he doubts and, and the story continues in Luke 1 that he's actually silenced. The, the silence because he doubts. Verses 19 and 20, I am Gabriel, says the angel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent. And not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words. Which had come true at their appointed times. And I, I used to always kind of see this as some grand punishment. But the more that I studied this this week. And the more that I make a living with my words. I recognize that, that for Zechariah, a priest. Him being stricken with silence was actually an opportunity. Where God says, hey I'm going to let you be quiet for a while. And I'm let you, I will let you just watch your life unfold and watch the way in which my fullness wants to work through your doubt. It, he's not being punished, but it's like the angel saying, I want you just to watch your life for a while. Because for Zechariah, his doubt isn't the end of the story. 
God meets us in our doubts and uses our circumstances of our life to move us from doubt into deeper faith. All of us are on this continuum from doubt to deeper faith. And God wants us sometimes to be quiet and just watch. Watch the miracle of life in front of us. Watch the miracle of some beauty of Christian community. To be quiet and to see the way in which God wants to continue to reveal his faithfulness in us. Sometimes we need to speak less and be watching more. Be watching for the way in which God is already speaking in your life. And I guarantee there's people in the room this morning that that maybe just feel a little bit alone, a little bit discouraged, uh, that feel like, you know, if you go watching the way in which God is showing up in your life, that maybe there's not a lot to see. But I want to challenge you this season that you have a community You have friends or family that are literally praying with you and praying for you, that hoping to move you from doubt to deeper faith. There's this amazing story in in Mark 2 where where this man who's paralyzed, he's paralyzed and he he does nothing. He's literally on a mat and his friends, four of them, carry him on on a stretcher and he must be kind of a big man, I don't know, but there's four, there's four men carrying him. And, and they go to see Jesus because they believe if they can just see Jesus, their friend will be healed. And so you know the story, many of you, Mark, Mark 2, the, 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 the house is full, the friends go on top. And the friend is laid out on, on the stretcher. Many of us are so good at being in control of our lives. But when you put yourself in this man's position, I guarantee He was not ordering directions. All right, Brad, grab the shovel. You start digging in the left corner. Brian, I'm going to need some more pick work done. No, you can't do that. I mean, you're laying on a stretcher. Your friends have you on a rooftop. They said, we know that if we can see Jesus, that we're going to see you healed. And so they start to dig and pull up. And you imagine Christ in that crowded room. It's like, what is happening here? You know, the, the, the straw is coming down and the mud is coming down and then there's a hole and a bigger hole and then they lower their friend down. And Jesus says, the man is healed. Scriptures tell us in Mark 2 that when Jesus sees the faith of his friends, when he saw their faith, he healed their friends. And so some of you this morning may be feeling like you need a little bit of a miracle I want to challenge you that you have people that are willing to carry the load for you, that are willing to stand with you, to dig for you, and lower you into the feet of Jesus. And Jesus sees you on your mat, in your brokenness, in your busyness, in your imperfection. We don't carry ourselves to the places of transformation. We simply say, Jesus, here I am. And so friends and family that want to carry you, allow yourself to be carried to the foot of the cross so that Christ can see you. The doubt isn't the end. It's the beginning of more faithfulness. And we see this in the second point of the outline through Mary's story. Mary who expresses some of her own, let's call it thoughtfully faithful. She has these words that almost seem like doubt themselves. In Luke 1, verse 29 through 36-ish, Mary was greatly troubled at the words of the angel. Let's back up. Mary is a, a virgin. 
And there's an angel in verse 28 that goes to her. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at the words. And wonder what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you call him Jesus. He'll be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary is confused. She says, how can this be? She's, she's questioning not the power of God, but she's, she's seeing her own limitations. Because the difference so often between the faithful and the religious is the ability to see when God shows up. She, she believes that the angel is telling her the truth, but she still sees her own limitations. She's a humble person. She, she knows that she's not worthy to carry the Son of the Most High, but she is willing to do whatever God asks. And it's probably why Jesus says in Matthew 5a, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Mary never sees herself as able to carry God, but she is willing to, ta- to carry God. And in this way, this is the differentiation between Zechariah's doubt and Mary's thoughtfulness. And she's concerned She's worried because she doesn't think that necessarily she has what it takes. And friends, hear me very carefully. Often we miss God's calling because we see our own limitations of seeing the power of Christ in me. We miss it. We can often miss what God wants to do in us and what God wants to do through us because we're seeing our own limitations instead of seeing the power of God in me. And so to see God this Advent season means moving beyond our weaknesses instead seeing how God wants to to move us into something bigger than our own life. To continue to testify in the way in which God is moving in our community. I said it two weeks ago, you know, kind of post-election, we were preaching about rest. We were talking about the the challenges of trying to rest in Christ and so many many challenges we see in the world in front of us. And I said these words, and I, I believed them to be true. I said, the world now sees the need for the church more than ever before. That's if we're left or right, conservative, liberal, that's, that's, that's apolitical. That's non-political. The church is more powerful now. Because right now, 80% of Americans are, are saying they don't trust what's going on in our country. The world is not in sync with each other. And it becomes a chance and an opportunity for the church to have a powerful voice. And Christ is calling us to move beyond our own limitations, beyond the things that we don't think we're good enough to speak the truth of Jesus and the love of Christ. Who am I is actually who am I not to speak about who Christ is. And often we miss God's calling because we see our own limitations instead of seeing the power of Christ. But the power of Christ, when it works in us and through us, friends, it's the power of Christ. I mean, think about Philippians 1.6. He who began a work will be faithful to complete it. He who began the work will be faithful to complete it. 
And Paul is writing to the church in Philippi about, about that church witness there in that city. And he says, he who began it will be he who completes it. And man, if you're like me, that's, that's, a, that's a confusing one. You think, well, he who began it gives it to me to run with it. Or maybe I started it, but I'm not going to be strong enough to finish it. It's not about us. The power of Christ in us and through us, if we see God working in us, he who began the work will be faithful to complete it. It's God's work in us, not our own work. And the more that we see him, the more we get to see the work he wants to do in us, changing our hearts, changing our habits, changing our angry responses, changing the way we rush around Disneyland trying to get our kids to see everything and, and yelling for, for 12 hours. No, he wants to change us. He wants to make us more like him so that our life can express the power of Christ. Uh, we want to be a church that says we can see Christ working in us. We can see it. We can see it. A couple years ago, I, I heard this speaker at a conference, actually, that Nathan and I attended together, Danielle Strickland, who's a major in the Salvation Army in Canada, and, and she's a very uh, passionate evangelist about speaking Christ into all contexts. And so often in Seattle, when we talk about evangelism, we talk about inviting our, our, our neighbors to church, we talk about, you know, there's this, like, reticence, because people are like, what? Yeah, I'm not... I don't have all the answers, and I don't, you know, I don't always have the perfect witness, and, you know, we, we kind of, we're scared to speak about Christ because we see our own limitations, but when we, when we remember this words of Philippians 1.6, that he who began the good work will be faithful to complete it, then when we speak the words of Christ, we don't have to speak out of our own limitations, and Daniel Strickland was telling the story of being on this airplane next to this young Muslim woman wearing, wearing the hijab, and, and, you know, kind of covered up all but her eyes and, and she, she went from fear to engagement and Danielle, passionate follower of Jesus, passionate about seeing Christ grow in our culture started to just ask questions of this young woman and her experience because the best form of evangelism, friends, is being able to actually see people to just see them in, in their cultures, in their background, in their brokenness just see them, when people feel seen they feel heard they feel cared for and so Danielle is just you know, seeing this young woman sitting next to her and starts to ask about her culture and her background and started to ask about the head covering. It's in Arabic, hijab means a, a barrier. And Danielle was able to kind of transcend the barrier by just seeing this young woman. And so they're talking, and then the woman leans over this young woman and she says, do you want to see my face? And Danielle said, yeah, I would like that very much. And she unwrapped her head covering, and these two women, a Christian and a Muslim, talked about God the rest of the flight. Now, we don't know how that story ends, but friends, he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. You don't have to complete God's work for him. If you want to speak the words of Christ in your family, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your relationships, go with confidence. And he who began that work will finish it. Because when we see people, man, God can do such powerful things then, unlocking people's story. And this brings us to the third point of our outline, that faith in Christ always needs a response. 
There's two responses at Luke 1. This response after John is born, the response of Mary when the angel comes her. Look with me. This is Luke 1, 46 through 50. This is Mary's response when God tells her through the angel that she'll carry the Son of God. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. I I, I get choked up thinking about the humility of Mary here and, and the testimony that the mighty one has done great things for me. I also long that we continue to grow as a community to just say God's done mighty things for us. He's done mighty things in my roommates. He's done mighty things in, in, in having a job. He's done mighty things for having a meal. He's done mighty things. He's given me the spirit of gratitude. We got back from vacation. The next morning I woke up and, you know, the house is a disaster, and I'm getting ready to go to work, and, and, and the hot water tank, we fear, has gone out. There's no hot water, and I haven't shaved, and I'm grumpy, and, you know, and, and kind of feeling sorry for myself in many ways. And then I go to the junction, and it's our Thanksgiving breakfast. The volunteers from this church and other churches cooked breakfast, a great breakfast, and served breakfast last Tuesday to a couple hundred people on Aurora. So I come walking in kind of feeling sorry for myself about my, my shower situation and watch all these people getting served a hot plate of food so grateful for a warm meal. And my hard heart was kind of exploded. God wants us to be aware of the great things he's done for us that starts when we have a spirit of gratitude. Mary sees it and she's thankful. And the lowly get a position of power. And then look at Zechariah's response here. He, he won't speak again, of course, because the angel assigns him. He just gets to watch his life unfold. It's this great gift he's given to just watch his life unfold. And, and then they go to his wife and ask, what will his name be? And she says, John. They don't believe her because it's that kind of culture. And so they ask him, and he writes on a chalkboard, yes, his name will be John. And then he finally speaks in, in Luke 1, verse 67, 68. His Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he's come to his people and he's redeemed him. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us. They, 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 they respond mightily because God has done something big in their midst. They, they, they respond, but for especially Zechariah, it was really hard for him. He almost missed it because he was aware of his own lacking and, and his own hurt. And a lot of us, at times during the holidays, struggled to see Christ because of our own hurt, our own limitations, our own brokenness. I mean, it, it's, no, it's no accident that these next 30 days are, for many, the busiest time of the year. And for many are some of the loneliest days of the year. And we want to be a church that speaks hope in the way that we reach out to one another and that we love one another because that's what the church is called to be. So many of us struggle with seeing when Christ shows up because of our own hurt. In Christmas 2008, there was this massive snowstorm. I don't know if you remember this massive snowstorm, feet of snow, 2008. It's a year that I'll never forget because it was the year that we lost our third-born son. And from time to time, I tell this story. If you've come for a long time, you know the story. If you don't know the story, 
I, I'm always at risk of either trying to tell the story too quickly or trying to, um, to tell it too slowly. But I'll just tell you that that Christmas was the worst Christmas of our life. Because we had two young children. Heather was nine months pregnant, and we lost our son, Fisher Samuel, who we'll celebrate here on the 11th of, of December. And he passed, and we had to go, and, and Heather labored through the night and, and birthed our stillborn son, and we got to spend the day with him and introduce him to his siblings. And those next two weeks, as the snow fell, man, my heart was so cold and so hard and so sad for my own grief, for my wife's grief, for my children's grief. And months before, in, in, the, uh, in the fall, we had committed to being Advent readers during the Christmas season. And we'd kind of forgotten about it, and we got a call on Christmas Eve, and, or the week of Christmas Eve, and said, hey, are you still willing to read Scripture at Green Lake, where we attended church at the time? And we said we would. And so we, you know, rushing around to to get our Christmas nice clothes on. In those days, we'd all come up as a family to read scripture. And you know, we're kind of rushing, and we didn't even hardly think of the words of the scripture that we were going to read. And our reading was Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, two weeks after we lost our son. This was the reading that we stood in front of hundreds of people at Green Lake location and read, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. And what did I see that Christmas? What did I see those moments? I'm literally on stage seeing this text that we're reading, and, and, and I'm, I'm broken, and I'm not even angry. I'm more just numb, and I'm confused. That's all, that was the best I could do that moment. And that's okay. That was Okay. God didn't, God didn't withhold any blessings from us because we were so brokenhearted. He was patient with us. For some of us in the room, if this Christmas season is a time of just mourning and loss, and that's what you see, Jesus wants to remind you that's okay. That God is faithful even through the pain and through the brokenness. But God wants to remind us that he wants us to continue to look for him, to continue to see him, whether we're struggling with hurt, whether we're struggling with doubt, or struggling with busyness, Christ is reminding us this morning, hey, develop new eyes and look for me in the month ahead. And so my question for you as a church this morning is where do we need new eyes to see God on the move? Where do we need new eyes in the month ahead to keep seeing Christ and see him in new and powerful ways? Because we need this response to revelation. Christ is here, he shows up. And the reminder again is that transformation is a response to revelation. We need to only see what's already there. He that began the good work will be faithful to complete it. We need to see what is right in our midst. This on Wednesday before the holiday, I heard that there was fish in Piper's Creek. Piper's Creek flows into Carkeek Park or through Carkeek Park. There's been this massive restoration effort on the creek to bring back the chum salmon. And so we heard, oh, there's, there's spawning salmon in the creek. And the life cycle of a salmon is amazing. I'll give a sermon about that some other time because you'll get me crying just talking about salmon because it is amazing. But I love to bring my kids down to the creek side and just show them when the salmon are back. These chum left this river three years ago. And now they're coming back 
to spawn. It's amazing. And so I'm like walking on the river and the kids, you know, we get there to have this like family bonding moment. We show up and then they're gone and I'm walking alone and I'm not seeing anything. There's nothing in the creek and really I'm stuck looking at myself. I'm I'm worried. I'm concerned. I feel like time is passing too quickly. I'm not, you know, it's just like all I can see is, is my own my own life in front of me, and I'm standing on the creek, and I'm, it's like God shakes me and says, no, I'm, like, pay attention. And so I literally, I climbed over the fence, which I don't think you're supposed to do, and I, I went down, and, and I, I, just, I just looked for a moment. I'm like, I just want to look at one patch of water. And I'm watching this one patch of water because I want to see something. And then, and then it's like, oh, they're right there. They're right there, these huge chum salmon. They were literally there the whole time. And I hadn't seen them. A male, female, creating a red where the, she'll lay her eggs and the male will come over. And that's a different you know, kind of talk about reproduction. I'll talk about that some other time. But like, it was amazing. It was amazing. And how often do we miss that which is already in our presence we can miss so much that is already able to be seen. Christ calls us to look and see in fresh ways. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I'll know fully, just as I've been fully known. I love this verse. Paul says, we see dimly now, but then someday we'll see face to face. And the amazing thing about a mirror in the first century, we actually have a picture of it. In the first century, this is what a mirror looked like. It was a polished piece of copper that you would normally need to rub with a pumice stone to even take any hue off and be able to see yourself. So literally Paul's writing this to a church in Corinthian, the Corinthian church, that they made these kind of mirrors. And, and Paul's saying, you know that I know. We all see really dimly when we look in a mirror. But someday when we see Christ, someday we'll see face to face. And so take hope and have faith and look deeper because God is all around. He's all around. And he wants us to see him in new and powerful ways in the ways in which he's already showed us. Because remember John 1.14, we have seen his glory. We've seen his glory And for John, the beloved, he saw Christ killed. He saw his disciples punished. He saw the persecution of of the Roman Empire. He saw pain. He saw destruction. But when he wrote the Gospel of John, some 30, 40 years later, he's saying, we also saw the resurrection. And so keep looking through all the hard things you face, John said. Keep looking, no matter what you're struggling with this season. Keep looking through the busyness. Keep looking through the distractions. Keep looking through your hurt. Keep looking through your doubt because God wants us to see him in powerful ways. This month, us, the faithful ones, showing up that our sight would be awakened. Man, those Christians, they've seen the glory And they have hope for a world that desperately needs it. That's our hope this Christmas season. Will you pray with me now? Father God, thank you so much. 
for the reminder and the encouragement that you're still here and you're still speaking and you're still, you're still working in the, in the day-to-day. Lord, there's salmon in Piper Creek and you want us to stop and pay attention. Lord, there's magic in the magic kingdom, but it's not in the rides, it's in the children that we're there with. Lord, there is miracles to be had on the bus in the next 30 days. Lord, there is hopefulness for those that will struggle with severe depression in the next 30 days. Lord, would you allow us as your church to be men and women of hope, men and women of joy, men and women of peace that see you. And so because we've seen you, Lord, we're able to speak of you. And the world is, is, is longing to hear the good news. Lord, wake the church up. And Father, may you teach us to see each other well. And we can serve meals to people on Aurora, but people come in and out of this worship service and feel really, really alone. Lord, give us eyes to see the people in this church connecting together. And from that place of connection, from that place we'll serve and we'll speak your good news. But Lord, may the men and women gathered this morning, the people listening online in the days and weeks ahead, Lord, will you remind us that we matter to each other because we matter to you. Lord, we want to see you again this morning. We're thankful for the ways that you still show up. And all God's people said, amen. Will you stand with me as we continue in worship this morning? As we continue in song, as always, there's prayer team members that are down front. If you want somebody just to see you and pray with you, at the conclusion of this service, we will go out and there will be coffee and muffins and a giving tree, but there will be mostly an encouragement. Can we actually see one another and know that we belong to each other because we belong to a God? Let's sing in response.